John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 390.LV1913, certificate number 27107. Ayan Nasir. Oh, I'm sorry. We have no midsize available at the moment. I don't understand. I made a reservation. Do you have my reservation? Yes, we do. Unfortunately, we ran out of cars. But the reservation keeps the car here. That's why you have the reservation. I know why we have reservations. I don't think you do. <laughs> If you did, I'd have a car. In 2000 BC, the largest city on Earth was Ur in Mesopotamia. It was named for the primitive noises of its... No, actually, it was quite advanced. No, this was the the cradle of civilization, Ur. Right. Between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers in modern-day Iraq was the Fertile Crescent. Yeah. Where... Modern agriculture was essentially invented. You know, the Mesopotamia, the Sumerians invented the wheel and the plow. And Ur was the largest city in the world, between 60 and 100,000 people. What is contemporaneous with Ur in Egypt? Uh, you know, Egypt is already has pyramids and whatnot. You know, right. Egypt is still a big civilization. But right now, at this moment, Ur is bigger. Um, the Persian Gulf was actually higher then. Uh-huh. So the modern side of Ur is just, you know, miles and miles inland. But at the time, it was kind of a marshy area with canals that could be used for both irrigation and transportation. So as you came into the outskirts of Ur, there were probably lots of chariot dealerships. And and then you you, you get into some grain warehouses. Yes, yeah, some uh, fried chicken establishments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was the whole valley would flood which probably is what gave us our modern flood myth because to them this was the whole world if the you know if the ocean rushed in and the valley flooded between the Tigris and the Euphrates it was as if the whole world were underwater i was under the impression that the flood myth may have come uh when the bosphorus flooded the when the the dam broke there and it flooded the black sea ooh that would be even bigger yeah that would be a big big flood Right. We'll talk about that on a future omnibus. The point is people had no idea. They just saw a lot of water and thought. Every time it rained, it seemed to them like it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, even if it was only like four days. I'm kind of like that too. I'm like, this is the hottest day ever. (laughs) Well, no. Seattle is glad. My mom does this every time it rains. It's been raining for weeks. (laughs) No, it hasn't. It's been raining for a day and a half. So at the time, the population, this is 4,000 years ago, maybe about the same gap between us and our listeners. Um, Do you think, the, but we, we expect that our listeners will have evolved quite a bit more than we have evolved from the people of Ur. 
Exactly. We're still using wheels and plows. Right. The population of Earth at that time was, I think, about 27 million people. So if there are 100,000 people in Earth, that's one out of every 300 Earthlings. That's, you know, it's by our standards, it's not a huge city. That's the size of Fayetteville, Arkansas, or <laughs> Idaho Falls or something. Right, but, but what would its um, commensurate size be in, in modern terms? There are 7 billion people on Earth. In terms of proportion of the be human a, race? It would be a city of, with 700 million people in it? Proportionally, it's about the size of Tokyo. 30 million people. The greater Tokyo area. Which is, you know, that's, and that's about the population of the Earth then. 27 million people. Today, you can find that in and around Delhi or sure. Seoul. Mexico City. Sure, but um, back then, that was everybody. And Ur had the greatest density and... Among other things, besides the invention of the wheel and plow and so forth, they invented writing. They invented cuneiform. Right, which was a cuneiform was basically like it was dots and dashes for all intents and purposes, right? Cuneiform means wedge shaped. So it's kind of these little triangle lines with triangles in them in different orders. And it appears to have evolved from like accounting practices, people who needed to count and keep track of stuff. Right. Because once you've invented agriculture, you want to know how many of this you have and how many of that you have and how big your land is. So a lot of the oldest documents are just tallies of uh, like receipts, basically. Yeah, which is kind of disappointing. You would yeah. hope that they would be great <laughs> laws or poetry. And uh, in the case of our guy, Aya Nasir, it's actually even worse than that. It's, it's uh, letters of complaint. It's, it's angry emails, basically. How, how do you mean worse it, than that? That's the highest form of literature now. A lot of these cuneiform were... Uh, were angry tweets? They were written on clay tablets. Um, Is that true of all cuneiform? Or was it also written like ink on papyrus? Or was it confined to fired clay? There may have been some etching, but it was mostly fired clay. If you wanted to write somebody an angry letter, you'd go to your scribe who would have a big thing of wet clay and you would be like, you send this from me to him. Uh-huh. And he would have to... And CC his boss. And it, Right. <laughs> it's like a stenographer. It would be like, uh, Lazam, take a, take a letter. And he'd take his little <laughs> stick out from behind his ear and start putting weird triangles on this big sheet of clay. And then you'd have to bake it and I guess carry it to the guy. So it would be like getting the Ten Commandments every time you got an email. Well, you know, people... One of the wonderful things about the ancient world is that uh, labor was cheap and material was expensive. Right. We live in a world now where material is cheap and labor is expensive. So now it seems crazy that you would have a you would have a guy with a stick and also somebody to bake the to bake the plate and then somebody to run it to the guy. But back then, I mean, we were it was all make work stuff. It certainly made everything slower. Well, than email, yeah, but they didn't have. They couldn't avail themselves of email then. I'm just saying efficiency doesn't exist if you've got to engage in a small army of of laborers every time you want to do some small task. It's also crazy thinking, considering that the lifespan, average lifespan of somebody was probably about 40 years old. Sure. So every time this guy takes a letter, he's thinking, (laughs) this is like in dog years, I'm spending like a week on this. So Ayan Nazir got a lot of Angry, uh, he got a, he's like the United Airlines of his time. <laughs> because this, uh, because letters were written on clay tablets, a lot of them have survived, you know, because even if they crumbled or whatever, you can put them back together and they don't, you know, they don't rot, they don't rust, they just keep on baking in the sun. It's crazy to think that he would keep them though. I mean, you, if you got an angry letter, how gratifying it would be to throw it on the ground and see it shatter into a million pieces. Like, 
Rah, take that. So what's interesting about Anasir is we know so much about him because he kept all his hate mail. Maybe he just was ang- wanted to anger his haters. I don't know. He's one of those sociopaths that sits there and, and cackles over everybody hating on him. He was the first troll. <laughs> um, when the British archaeologists, another European archaeologist, first began digging around in Mesopotamia after Britain kind of partitioned and took over the Middle East between the wars, they started bringing stuff home. You know, they found there have been uh, almost two million cuneiform writings found. Wow. And, you know, because we live in an age where labor is expensive, most have not been translated. You know, a, a tiny, tiny fraction of these someone has actually looked at and read. Did, did cuneiform then venture out from Mesopotamia to become kind of a lingua franca of, its, of the whole region? It was used all over Sumeria, but it started to, um, it, it gradually had evolved from, you know, kind of proto-writing, you know, a series of symbols. And it gradually evolved within the next thousand years, I think, into the Phoenician alphabet, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which then became which had Greek and Latin and all of our stuff, right? So all of our writing, you know, including our modern Roman alphabet, eventually date back to cuneiform. Uh, yeah, well, it seems like uh, like half of the tweets I read are just written in little wedge-shaped dip- depressions in a piece of clay. Those are called emojis. Those are oh. new. Oh, is that what that little poop is? I thought you were going to say that most of your hate mail came from like people with wedge-shaped heads. Well, no, what happens, a lot of my hate mail is hand-delivered and it's on, it's, uh, it's <laughs> like, it's on plates. It's not etched in the plate. It's actually rotten spaghetti. One of the great British archaeologists who was digging around the archaeological side of Ur then was a guy named Leonard Woolley. He was one of the first modern methodical archaeologists. He'd gone to Oxford with uh, T.E. Lawrence, Lawrence mm-hmm. of Arabia. But he had some eccentricities, one of which, for example, is that as he drew his map of ancient Ur, as he excavated it, he gave all the streets the names of streets and lanes in his beloved Oxford. Of course he did. Remembering his Oxonian taste. <laughs> you know, whenever you say bad things about the colonial era, there's always some new wrinkle that's like small, just a tiny little thing, but so telling. <laughs> yeah, just what you thought you've seen... All the things the colonizers can do. Here's something new and appalling. I've seen this map of, uh, I think, John Smith exploring the coast of Virginia. And every time he sees a little inlet, he just names it after someplace in Devon or yeah, whatever. Like, yeah. this is West Fork or whatever. You know, they, they didn't even go ashore there. There's no Indian village there. He just wanted to give everything the most humdrum name imaginable. And uh, this was true of Leonard Woolley. Um one of the houses he was very interested in excavating because it had a high number of clay tablets was number seven Church Lane. That would be its corresponding <laughs> Oxford address. Uh-huh. But it was just a city street in, in Ur from 4,000 years ago. And it was the home of a guy named Ea Nasir, who apparently kept all of his clay tablets where he got angry communication from his business partners and creditors and guys he'd ripped off. So we have some evidence that this guy was maybe the worst businessman of his time. Was it a big house? I mean, was he a prosperous merchant? Yeah, the house is quite large. And there's evidence in the tablets that he's a member of the Alec Tillman, which was a merchant's guild who did big business with Dillman. That would be down the coast, down the Arabian coast, the southern coast of the Persian Gulf. Uh, Dillman was a region that controlled all of the ports along there in a lot of the Sumerian 
epics, it's like an earthly paradise where nobody grows old, nobody dies, predators don't eat their prey. And it might be the source of our Garden of Eden. The lion and the lamb lay down together. Exactly. They were, the Sumerians believed that was literally happening in Dilmun. But maybe Aeneasir did not believe that because he was actually trading with Dilmun. Right. He, uh, he was an importer-exporter. He knew what a cesspool Dilmun really was. Right. He didn't, he didn't believe the hype on the travel posters. He was importing copper. This was the Bronze Age. Mm-hmm. You need copper if you're going to make bronze. In my opinion, there's two main things you need to make bronze. You want some copper. Yeah. And you want some tin. That's kind of a controversial opinion. I don't know. I would call it tipper if I were going to name it. <laughs> Instead but, of copper? But they, how, but they called it bronze. How, what were the proportions of copper to tin in bronze? I've never made bronze. Bronze is one of the many alloys that I have never made in some kind of home foundry. How, how do you make, do you know how to make bronze? Yeah, bronze is, you know, copper is a really bad metal to use for axes. It's too soft. But if you add tin to it, a little bit like 10% tin, you can... Uh, a smidgen of tin. Just put a smidge of tin in there, it becomes bronze, which is harder and, or, or you know, more ductile. It, it, it's a more useful... In fact, originally it was arsenic that they put in with copper. Really? Yeah. Uh, then they kept licking the wheel and the plow and they would just die. Well, and the fumes, the arsenic fumes as they were as they were mixing it. So then they figured out those are toxic, arsenic fumes. Luckily, labor's cheap back then. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's, so, the, that's the beauty of living in a time when materials are expensive, but labor's cheap. You could yeah. just kill 50 people to make one axe. Yeah, for 500 years, they, they used arsenic <laughs> and it wasn't a problem. <laughs> Uh, but then they, they started mixing tin, and then that was, uh, you know, they, they're always experimenting with alloys, those crazy ancients. That's how Ur got to be the biggest city in the world. They just stopped killing thousands of people every year. All of a sudden. Licking, licking their axes. Their population went crazy. So copper's super valuable, and you need to import it from Dilmun, this coastal area on the Persian Gulf. And that's where Aeneasir made his money. That was his big entrepreneurial idea, importing copper up to Mesopotamia, where people could make stuff out of it. But he was an Urian, not a Dilmanian. Right. He was a native of Ur, not unlike uh, Abraham in the Bible, for example. Mm -hmm. Abraham, the founder of uh, some pretty good religions, the patriarch of Judaism, Christianity, Islam, all the greats. Kind of like Eric Clapton, three different supergroups right there. (laughs) Abraham, I mean, you know, we're the children of Abraham. We talk about it all the time. Name a religion that Abraham didn't found, I dare you. Uh, Buddhism. Okay, that's actually a fair point. Yeah. Abraham did not invent Buddhism. No. Uh, Zoroastrianism. He also did not invent Zoroastrianism. Okay, stop naming <laughs> religions that Abraham did not found. Uh, yeah, he was, the Bible tells us he was born in Ur of the Chaldees. Right. Chaldees? I, Cal- I would say Chaldees, but it does have an H in there. I do like to say the C-H Chaldees. is a C, because it makes me sound knowledgeable. Yeah. Like, you put a uh, little H on it. How do you say the mineral like, is it chalcedony or chalcedony? Chalcedony. You say like Hanukkah? (laughs) Chalcedony. I really love this chalcedony. (laughs) It is chalcedony. Chalcedony. Wow. I never would have guessed. So it is is probably the Chaldeans. Anyway, so the Abrahamic city of Ur, modern scholars do identify with the Ur of Aeneasir. Of course, Abraham took off. He headed for Canaan. He had other stuff to do. Born in Babylonia, moved to Arizona. <laughs> Abraham? That, Abraham. Abraham. How do you spell the city of Dolmen? Dilmen. Dilmen. D-I-L-M-U-N. 
you're certainly not um, looking that up on a computer because you, you already know. We, we know all this stuff off the top of our heads. You were just curious how to spell it. Well, so, so you can picture it correctly when you visualize the word in your head. I know how to spell it in Sumerian and in Arabic. <laughs> what I didn't know was which which it's transliteration. A, it's you a little using. triangle going this way, triangle going this way, two triangles going this way. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free, plus $20 off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. That's butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. Um, apparently, Anasir had some kind of contract with the palace. At the time, Ur was in the city-state of Larsa. Uh, run by King Rimsin the First. I could just be making up all this stuff. King Rimsin the First, and it kind of sounds like I am. Yeah, um, because a lot of the letters imply that uh, he's w- working for the government. So he has apparently government contracts. Even back then, that was a good way to fatten your purse if you're a not particularly scrupulous business guy. So he's doing some wheeling and dealing for the king. But most of the letters are not pleased. People are not huh. thanking Anasir for his good work on behalf of the crown or for his efficient importation of copper from Dillman. So he has some royal patronage that's allowing him to stay in business in spite of the fact that he's he's ripping people off. At least at first, it seems to be people are cutting him some slack because maybe they know that the king will make good on the debts or whatever. But the creditors start to get unhappy. So we have all these texts. So you can read exactly, even though this guy has been dead for us, 4,000 years for you, perhaps five or 6,000. We can read exactly what all his enemies thought of him. And so of all the millions and millions and millions of cuneiform texts that have not been translated, this guy's hate mail, we relish translating because it's, because it adds so much to this hilarious story. I think as it was such a trove, you know, you've got a lot <laughs> together, you know, a lot of what we gather, you know, there, there are no, um, it's, it's not like this is supplementary to the other reference books we have about mercantile practices in ancient Sumeria. Like everything we know comes from firsthand evidence like this. You know, we, we take a bunch of receipts or a bunch of shipping manifests or a bunch of mortgages. And that's where we start to understand how the economy worked in ancient uh, Ur. So here's a text. This is from Aenasir to a guy named Nani. And it begins, speak to Aenasir, thus says Nani. And all the texts start this way. And basically, they're instructing the scribe. This is like the header of an email from Nani (laughs) to Anasir, except he's telling the scribe, hey, speak to Anasir, thus says Nani. And it begins like this. Now, when you had come, you spoke thus, saying, I will give good ingot to Gimel Sin. Yeah, I'll give good ingot to Gimel Sin. (laughs) I say that all the time. That's what I hear. This you said to me when you had come. 
but you had not done it. So he's reminding him, hey, you said you'd give Gimil Sin all these awesome copper ingots, and guess what? Nothing. Right. You have offered bad ingots to my messenger. Ooh, so dog. A. Nasir is doing some kind of ingot bait and switch. Well, this is a thing. I'm going to start saying bad ingots. You're going to start. I'm going to go on Twitter and just be like, oh, those are bad ingots. That tweet is a low quality ingot. Mm. I came on here with the promise of good Twitter ingots. So you, when you, well, apparently when Anasir gave the bad ingots to his messenger, he said, this is a direct quote from the tablet, if you will take it, take it. If you will not take it, go away. <whistles> wow. Tough talk. Strong words. <laughs> Anasir had been reading some kind of, um, you know, the forceful businessman bestseller on a clay tablet. And, well, he, and he had learned how to negotiate with tough tactics like, if you will take it, take it. If you will not take it, go away. Sounds like he's read the art of the deal. <laughs> Who am I that you are treating me in this manner? So uh, Nani is personally affronted. Oh, well, this is, you know, this is always a good way to go about a, a business negotiation is to say, do you know who I am? Because apparently he does. He does know who Nani is. Yeah. Nani is some kind of gentleman because he says, treat me with such contempt and that between gentlemen such as we are. So really it's like uh, you and I, Yeah. you know, we're from the class of men that should not have to deal with these shenanigans. Well, yeah, we're sending runners back and forth with our pots, with our writing on pots. Our feet aren't down in the gutter. We're up here wearing robes of fine linen. And that was a legal distinction at the time. I mean, the, the Code of Hammurabi, the land, groundbreaking Sumerian law, is still a few centuries away. But if you read Hammurabi, the punishments and the crimes are totally different if you do them to a gentleman versus a common person. Sure. I mean, it's the... Crack cocaine has a hundred times more prosecutable power than, than powder cocaine. Exactly. And it's all because of the class of the people who are using it. And that was true then as well. Um, you could kill all the poor Sumerians you wanted, you know, it was a field day, but. Sure. Throw but, arsenic on them and roll them up in a ball. Make them lick your axe. You don't even have to get blood on it. You Ooh. just have to be like, uh, just lick this like just 50 times. Lick my axe. <laughs> Kiss my axe. <laughs> Um, but if you did that to a gentleman, the penalties were very harsh. You know, there, there was essentially multiple levels of law. Nani goes on to say, I have written to you to receive my purse, but you have neglected it. Who is there among the Dillman traders who has acted against me in this way? Hmm. I don't want to cast aspersions on Nani, who's apparently had a rough time of it here, but he's a bit of a drama queen. I went into the North Face store down downtown Seattle one time because I had a complaint about a backpack, and I feel like I sounded a lot like Nani. I was like, who am I that thou shalt give me such a defective backpack? Well, first you say, I want to speak to the manager. Yes. And that's your version of two such gentlemen such as ourselves. <laughs> like, I'm not dealing with this uh, peasant yeah, this on the cash register. The, on a spring break from college. No, I want to talk to the 27-year-old manager of this establishment. What's interesting to Leonard Woolley and other people reading this is what's also not in the tablet. He does not include a blessing formula. Oh, which I guess would be the equivalent of starting out with your email like, uh, hey, uh, how was your weekend? Hope Susan and the kids are well. So the ingots. <laughs> so so there, there's a formality to written communication and it is absent. Yeah, it would be customary to say something about, you know, the sun god Shamash who smiles on our deal or whatever, you know, and may, may he bless all our endeavors. And Nani does not do that. He jumps right into, so you told the messenger the ingots were going to be the good kind of ingots. Oh boy. Let me ask you this personally, Ken. Do you see red sometimes when you're communicating with people? Do, some, do people on Twitter get under your skin or do you get emails from people where you 
reply in a state of anger or do you always maintain your cool? I, so here's the thing. I feel like I'm maintaining my cool at the time. Like, ha, let me disarm this loser with my rapier wit. You know, I don't feel like I'm out of control, but I definitely have had the experience of reading back and thinking, I was a little hard on that guy. Yeah. Just because he said uh, I was a howdy doody looking <laughs> dumbass and was, <laughs> and was not going to read my parenting tips on Lifehacker. Uh-huh. This is just a hypothetical example that sure, may or may, or may not have happened yesterday. <laughs> for instance. Like, did I need to drag that guy in front of all of my Twitter followers by saying, eh, it's okay, your wife says those kids aren't yours anyway. Oh. I, I didn't have to do that. Smack. But see, that's funny. I mean, you're you're at least like, you're at least doing a funny smackdown. I sometimes will, I'll, I'll just. You'll just wish wrath on people to under the third and the fourth generation? I'll be, I'll be just like, uh, I will offer no, like, ingratiating greeting. I will not say, how are your children? I will say die in a fire. And it's a, it's a terrible way of getting business done. I I tend to be ingratiating, but you know, the passive aggressive kind of ingratiating. I just had somebody post a comment on something of mine online that said, is this the guy from Jeopardy? Cause screw this guy. He came into our Barnes and Noble once and tried to use counterfeit coupons and he was trespassing and I was like, what is going on here? Who does she think, who does she, who is she thinking of? It couldn't have been me. And then I actually did remember. It was your dad. Note. <laughs> it was one of the many Ken Jennings impersonators I have <laughs> out there protecting my life and limb. No, it actually was some case where I had gone to this bookstore with a $5 coupon off from their website. And they had been like, yeah, we've had people bringing in counterfeit coupons all the time. Don't try to defraud us. And I was a little bit angry. I felt like... A $5 coupon? They accused me of bringing in a bad ingot. It was a $5 off on a DVD. And so I was like, ooh, hey. Right. Oh, boy. This is going to be 15 bucks. I'm going to use this coupon. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not one of these couponers. But this wasn't around here. This was somewhere out in... No, in... this was this was downtown Seattle Barnes oh, & Noble. interesting. In the basement of Pacific Place. And uh, it's getting a little far afield from Anasir, but uh, I'm gonna <laughs> no, I'm gonna get this off my chest. No, this is exactly so. What... In thousands of years from now, people are gonna rem- be remembering my bad business dealings. I'm gonna be the Anasir <laughs> of the uh, of the lava men of the future. The, the future archaeologists are gonna be sifting through all of our emails, and they're gonna come upon this treasure trove of of angry emails to Ken Jennings about his coupon counterfeit racket. Look at this. Cash register receipt from Square. He tipped on the pre-tax amount. Um, so what happened? Well, I, I just said, no, no, this is a real coupon. And I showed it on their website because, you know, I had a phone. So I could be like, no, look, this is actually a coupon on your website. It says you're going right. to honor this. And they were like, yeah, no, there's no way you could have got that. That was like a new coupon from this week. But I didn't wait for it to come in the mail. I just printed it out from your website. Yeah, you're going to have to talk to the website, tech support. And I'm getting increasingly like, but this is a, why are you not? Five dollars. And so I did the the nonny thing of being like, you know, we are both gentlemen. Sure. And I was like, you know, if I was running a Barnes and Noble, I would love the customers that kept an eye on the deals and on the website and came in regularly with the new, you know, these are the faithful customers that are. Gentle people. Do I speak not the truth? We must <laughs> rise above these petty disagreements. So you're, you're trying to do the meta thing where, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm Barnes & Noble managerial material like you. Surely we can come to some understanding. 
And she was just not having it. She felt like you were weaseling. You were doubling down. Yeah. And uh, years and years later, I found out she still thinks I'm a scofflaw who was trying to cheat Barnes & Noble by changing the dates on coupons or something. Did you communicate to her and say like, hey, it was all a misunderstanding. Can I buy you a coffee? Can I send you $5? No, I just replied and said, because people were commenting on it. People were like, wait, what? <laughs> Ken was trying to cheat Barnes and Noble with bad ingots. And I was like, yeah, that was one of the worst customer service experiences of my life. Like you guys were awful. <laughs> Good. And I left it at that. Good. But I, but I feel like my attempt to be Nani and be like, surely we can work this out as, as the professional class did not actually work. No, sometimes you have to pull your scimitar out of its scabbard and rattle it. That's what I thought I was doing with my phone. I was like, this is my weapon. Right. My smartphone will show you this coupon is real because look at the URL. Yeah. It was not working. This is happening all the time. People are bringing in these counterfeit coupons and getting $5 off. That's what I'm wondering. How many people had to ruin her life so that she called me a, a crook? Uh, Nani goes on to say, we could, we could just spend the whole rest of the show talking about our customer service anger. Right. But here's what Nani says. You have treated my messenger with contempt. And further, with regard to the silver that you have taken with you from my house, you make this discussion. Oh, the silver is the money. That's money. So that's, that's what is going to buy the copper. Right. They're using silver to buy copper. It's confusing. It seems <clears throat> like you're, they're kind of downgrading. In the future, in the future, many, 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 many millennia from now, when their form of exchange is just like um, this like manufactured meat that we're just working on now. Like 3D printed. Uh, 3D printed meat. Meat. Meat stuff. I feel like this is the money of the future. Uh, fake meat? Fake meat. It'll be uh, a spam-based currency. Right. That, so, that'll be the cryptocurrency of the future, spam coin. So they'll be like trading fake meat for, well, I mean, whatever else they need, right? Real, real, not real meat. Lubricant and uh, uh, fertilizers. I mean, who? I, no, I don't think that. Well, they could be sentient robots. We've never really talked about that. Why do they need lubricant? They're sex robots? No, everybody needs lubricant. I we mean, all need lube. The thing is that you know, things lubricate. I mean, a lot of the language that you're talking about being missing from these tablets is the social lubricant, man, that makes I like see. civilization get along. Metaphoric lubricant. But in the future, it's going to be real lubricant because, <laughs> because people are going to socialize with one another like through through physical contact. So instead of going up to meat. somebody and being like, hey, how are Susan and the kids? You just go up to them and rub KY on them and they'll know that's how you're kind of making the interaction easier. This is my fantasy future. Uh, yeah, because we won't be able to see probably no optic right. receptor. So we'll just have to kind of gro grope each other in the dark because we'll all be underwater. The thing about trading silver for copper is that you have to presume, I think I'm, I'm not speaking out of turn here to say that it was a small amount of silver for a large amount of copper. Absolutely. So it sounds like Nani is kind of some venture capitalist who's decided to pay Anasir for this expedition where he's going to go down to Dillman, to the, to the rich ports of Dillman, and start loading copper onto boats. Oh, he gave him the money in advance. Yeah, and Anasir may have taken the money and run and yeah. given a small percentage of the ingots back. Well, he didn't run because... We know where his house is. It's on it's on one it's, it's, Garden Grove Lane. <laughs> it's a 33 and a half privet drive or whatever, comma, er, comma, Sumeria. Uh, 
Nani says, on your behalf, I gave 18 talents of copper to the palace. That's how we know Anasir is representing himself as, as an agent of King Rimson. Mm -hmm. And Sumi Abum also gave 18 talents of copper. So mm -hmm. he's, he's getting his friends in on the deal. Right. Apart from, I love that we know all these people's names just because they made one bad business investment. And apart from the fact that we issued the seal document to the temple of Shamash, so you would go to the sun god's temple and that, that's what would solemnize your, your deal. You know, you would do it in the eyes of the gods. Instead of a notary, you'd have... Basically, Shamash, the sun god, was your public notary. With regard to that copper, as you have treated me, you have held back my money in a foreign territory. So, oh, and it's here skipped the country. Oh, or at least, or at least the money is still offshore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> He's got an offshore account in Dillman. <laughs> Although you were obligated to hand it over to me intact, they had agreed on terms. You will learn that here in Ur, I will not accept from you copper that is not good. Oh, no, not in Ur. Like he's kind of doing some metaphorical, you're in Ur now. Yeah, like you're in right. my world, Grandma. In my house, I will choose and take the ingots one by one. Oh, so he's going to go to the lumber yard and he's going to pick up every two by four and say, nope, nope, nope. Not this ingot, not this ingot. Well, and he, he says, why? Because you have treated me with contempt. I shall exercise against you my right of selecting the copper. So he had a, had a clause put in where like, if the copper's no good, I get to pick it out. And he's, he's calling in his, his chips right now. But so he is looking at these copper ingots and he's seeing impurities in it. And he thinks he can pick up an ingot and say like, yeah, this is a good one. I mean, I feel Maybe like... Maybe he's got a guy. Yeah. Do you think he's got a guy? He's probably got a copper guy. You know, the Bible, uh, you know, the Bible is full of, um, and I think Hammurabi as well, full of instructions to the people, don't, you know, use your... Uh, Use a good set of balances. Don't yeah. be one of these crooked butchers or metal workers who has like a heavy balance and a light balance so you can rip people off. You know, like they were very into having good balances. And maybe that's what's going to happen here. Here's the size of the ingot. Let's weigh it against our balance and see if it actually is the expected weight and density. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start that's unlimited access to thousands of lessons exercises and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks just go to musician.com slash start that's y-o-u-s-i-c-i-a-n.com slash start you know so much so much of commerce is sort of structured around ideas of fairness and protecting yourself against cheats and you wonder like there's something about human beings and our culture, even millennia ago, where there are all, there have always been cheats. And it seems like the ones who go into these kind of mercantile endeavors may be more likely to be cheats than, the, have, have more than the regular. Maybe it's just opportunity. I don't know. But but it's but it's interesting to think like how much our system of of dealing with cheats and our system of uh, protecting oneself against cheats was also a, a, a system that evolved over time. I mean, the first person that was ever cheated 
was Cain. <laughs> he, he made what he thought was a nice sacrifice. Look at these nice veggies. Yeah. Oh, not wait. enough. Yeah. Not enough. Cain. And then he got mad. Yeah. Uh, but so, so we're watching here on these uh, cuneiform tablets, part of our own patrimony of working out how to deal with this. Cause and Nazir, obviously, I mean, I don't, you're, you're not leading up to a series of tablets that were found where, where justice was delivered unto and Nazir, right? It seems like he got away with this. Yeah. If there's a tablet, if maybe there is no tablet, um, where he makes good on the debts, but for whatever reason, he kept all the ones where people are complaining and there are a lot. There's uh, it looks like well over a dozen of these, and they're from different people. Um, here's another guy who's mad named Abitaram. And this is kind of tricky to talk about in an audio format because, uh, a lot of this communication regards a middleman whose name is spelled N I G G A hyphen N A N N A. Hmm. Um, uh-huh. so we would put a lot of asterisks in that word uh-huh. if we were to write it. Nija Nana. Yeah. We could say Nija. Nija Nana. Even though it is probably not he was probably not a Nija in Paris. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, if you're, if you're taking Sumerian and, and translating it through like Semitic Akkadian, uh, you're yeah, gonna, we don't know anything about the pronunciation, right? right? You're going to throw G double G's in there all the time. And this here left us no voicemails. Right. So we don't know how to say these vowels. So yeah, let's hope that this middleman's name is not the worst racial slur of our time. Oh well, you could it could have an it could have an R at the end, which would make it even worse. That's true. Um, at least this is one that um, you you can say if you're a rapper. You hear it on the radio in cafes all the time. But you're not allowed to sing along. You have to stop singing abruptly at certain parts you're of the song. You're not allowed to sing along. <laughs> yeah, when I say you, <laughs> you, I mean <laughs> any Caucasian listeners of the future. <laughs> you howdy doody looking. <laughs> are not allowed to sing along. Uh, here's what Abitaram says about how Nija Nana has been mistreated. This silver and its profit, give it to Nija Nana. I have made you issue a tablet. Why have you not given the copper? If you do not give it, I will bring in your pledges. So there's some kind of mortgages or loans that this guy can call He's in. He's going to bring in the pledges. He can bring Aenisir's world crashing down on his head. And it's all about copper. He's not, tra- he's not, like a, a, he's not trading grain. He's not trading donkeys. He does branch out later after a bunch of these. Well, yeah, probably um, he got run out of the copper business. <laughs> Here's one from Imki Sin. Shamash, bless your life. So at least this one starts with the blessing formula. Give good copper under seal to Nija Nana. Now you have had one issue 10 shekels of silver. In order that your heart shall not be troubled, give good copper to him. Yeah. He's appealing to his sense of well-being. Come on, give him good copper. You're, you're going to sleep well at night if you just give... Nija Nana, some good copper. Do you not know how tired I am? Wow, that's probably like, this has been our third letter advising you of this matter, sir, you know? Right. And when you arrive with Itsurabi, so that's how we know that Anasir has a partner. When you arrive with Itsurabi, take it away and give it to Nija Nana. Yeah. So he's just saying over and over. Please. We've gone over this several times. Do you not know how tired I am? Just give it to Nija Nana. Just please. All I want right now. Here's another guy named Appa who's apparently using the same um, middleman. Imkisin, Abitaram, and Appa are all using Nija Nana, who must be some kind of nexus or escrow agent. Appa says, this copper of mine, give it to Nija Nana, good copper, in order that my heart shall not be troubled. They're so dramatic here in Ur. They're speaking from the heart. Well, you know, how much of our business stuff is just a voice we can put on, you know, like, uh, 
it is my duty to advise you. You know, we just have all these phrases that we use. Right. And I'm sure that's what these phrases are to them. Like they, they have not invented this kind of legalistic version of Sumerian or whatever they speak. But they're all emotional appeals. Right. And it's interesting how... They, it, they don't mask the actual relationship level of the deal under a level of con contract and formality like we do. Right. Like what they're really saying is, this is keeping me up nights. This is very stressful that the ingots are not good. But no one is threatening him with really violence or, I mean, they're, they're threatening him with like, I'm going to uphold the terms of this contract. I, I'm going to, you know, I'm allowed to call in some loans here. Like, yeah, there's, this is an advanced people who are not going to just cleave him in two if he doesn't deliver the ingots. But there's kind of, uh, there's no appeal to uh, like a law enforcement aspect. No, no one's threatening him with, um, uh, Could there be like debtor's prison? You'd think, right? Sure. Or maybe or, they're, maybe they're too polite to mention it. Yeah, perhaps so. This but, is the early stage. They, these guys think of themselves as friends. These are the guys at the golf club being like, "Hey, I've got an opportunity right. for you, a bitter. I'm like, I'm going down to Dillman and I'm going to get some some ingots. some good copper. I'm not going to bring you those bad ingots. Remember that time we did with Nijanana where yeah, you got yeah. the bad ingots. And apparently he's working in finished goods as well because in this note from Appa, he reminds him that he's also owed one copper kettle which can hold 15 ka of water. And then he's also owed, owed 10 minas of other copper. So he's working in finished copper hmm. goods now as well. Hmm. And this is what the first evidence that um, Anasir is sort of branching out. We later see him exporting fabrics to Dillman. Mm -hmm. There's evidence that he gets into land speculation, real estate, money lending, secondhand clothing. Secondhand clothing? So the man after my own heart. Yeah, he's thrifting. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I don't know if that means the copper deal didn't go well or if he's just one of these guys with a finger in a lot of pies. I was just in San Francisco last week and I was speaking to some kind of... Uh, like a finger in the pie organization? Yeah, I think it was called FITP. Uh-huh. Um, it, it was a bunch of guys who non-ironically refer to themselves as thought leaders and influencers. Oh, dear. I think some of them might have been saying influencer with the accent on the second syllable. Influencer. So they're not just... Wow. They're, they're not just influencing. They're influencing. I think times are changing so fast. How am I going to know how to how differently to interact with an influencer? By the time you go there next, it's going to be the influenza. <laughs> it's going to be like the disease. <laughs> anyway, and all these guys were talking about how they're, you know, they're on their 20th startup or whatever. And right. you realize these guys just love the next thing, the new thing. Well, it's. I think it's always been a component of business that there are certain certain percentage of business people who just like doing business, it doesn't matter in what. They're not actually interested in making a particular thing, in solving problems for people, in creating a good customer experience. They just want to be doing business. And they'll, they would sell like ground up roaches if there was a market for them. The business of America is business. That's what uh, Calvin Coolidge once said, probably to his pygmy hippo. Or his, or Dorothy Parker. We've, I think we've covered this in past entries yeah. in the uh, omnibus. Yeah, he, he said it to Billy, whispered it in his ear. What's <laughs> good for General Motors is good for America. I can only tell this to you, Billy. You'll never tell. Billy bubbles happily. But yeah, that's kind of the modern view of America. Like, we don't make ingots anymore. You know, like Bruce Springsteen said, they shut down the, the ingot factory. And now the business of America is just business because that's, that's where we get our kicks. They shut down the ingot factory and put up a parking lot. <laughs> So all did not apparently go well for Anis here. One hint is that he's having to get into all these other businesses. But the main evidence is something that uh, Leonard Woolley himself found when he excavated Anis here's house. It's clear that uh, sometime 
later in his life, a bunch of his house was partitioned away from him and incorporated into the house next door. Uh, These are like row houses. So walls were actually moved and house layouts redesigned to put Anasir in a smaller living space. And what Wooly took away from this is that uh, he did not come back from Dillman and live the the affluent retirement no. or, or affluent as they say in San Francisco. <laughs> he didn't prosper from his, uh, his misbegotten ways. No, that he actually, you know, his creditors did catch up with him that it was a result of all these angry communications that he actually lost part of his house, which makes me wonder why he, why do you think he kept all the tablets? Why does this guy keep all his hate mail? Uh, you know, I, I, I imagine if he was really like doing bad deals that they were maybe trophies. Like, you know, there are all kinds of... I do the best deals. Well, and also, I mean, just like he he might have felt some strange um, strange pride in how, how much he affected the other people he did business with. Yeah, if he's not a scrupulous guy, this is, this is a, his trophy heads. These yeah. are his deer heads of all the stuff he got away with. These are the guys that fronted him money and he frittered it away in Dillman. And uh, what were they going to do? It's like my shoebox full of uh, the driver's licenses of all the people I've killed. It's like the shoebox I have of uh, forged Barnes & Noble coupons. And that concludes Ea Nasir, entry 390.LV1913, certificate number 27107 in the omnibus. In the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, futurelings... Which it could if, for example, I were to etch all my tweets into clay and leave them around my house. Well, I That's what I'm going to do, I think. You know, one of, the, one of the wonderful things about future lubricant is that it will also be conductive and psionically conductive. So people will just lube up touch each other and they'll be able to know one another's thoughts and feelings. But does that mean they can touch like my old laptop and read all my tweets and see all my Instagram pictures? I think everyone that you have ever interacted with will keep a biorhythmical memory of you that will contain all of your experience. And that and will then, get passed down through the yeah, generations? Yeah, and your children's children's children. And so somewhere once, in their DNA. Once the lubed up tentacles of futurelings embrace one another, they'll be able to feel all of the hate mail that you've ever received from Barnes & Noble echoing through time. Here's my issue. Like, are, are they going to be so goopy they can't pick up any of this stuff? They're going to find my house. They're going to find out all my uh, printed out tweets on clay tablets and they won't be able to, they'll just keep slipping through their tentacled hands. Well, they won't need to pick it up. So if they find the omnibus buried, right, they will not be able to lift it out of its hole because they'll keep, they'll just keep getting slime on it, but they can just touch it. All that needs to happen is one being touches it and then every other being touches that being. This is going to be so great for data retrieval it's because really nice. you know, we have hours of recordings now, but they're not going to have to sit around and listen on their commute. No. They're I just mean, going to have to tap it once and they will immediately have all this knowledge in their head. Right. Some distant futureling somewhere far, far afield will be able to feel, not just know, but feel uh, the whole experience when your house is subdivided in the future <laughs> and, and many of the rooms are taken by your neighbors. When Barnes & Noble moves into my house. Right, because you're bad ingots. <laughs> uh, but, future links, for your, for your edification, in case I mispredict this, and in fact, 
everything on the omnibus is eventually transcribed back into cuneiform. Or if you're just out of goop. If you're out of goop, if you can't get, if, can't, if you're the future Ian Nazir is actually a goop merchant <laughs> and is bringing bad goop from down on the Gulf. Or if the goop store is closed and you don't want to wait till 10 tomorrow to listen to our, our tweets. Well, the goop store is where I get so many good recipes. <laughs> That's uh, where I learned about my coffee enemas. Mm. Would never have known without goop. Thanks, M- Gwyneth. My, my my coffee enemas. That's a the thing I started picking up at Toys R Us. I thought you were gonna say my coffee enemas <laughs> was like your new band or something. <laughs> my coffee enemas. My morning jacket. My coffee enemas. It's a new Drew Barrymore film. <laughs> uh, you can communicate with us via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Omnibus Project. Our individual handles were at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick. Uh, you can come join me on Instagram at John Roderick. You Re- can reach out with your goopy tentacles and look at John's photos of, yeah. his, of his beautiful family. You can DM me if you want to slide into my DMs. They would literally be sliding into their DMs if they're covered in lube. You just lube up and slip into my Whee! DMs. Here we are. Well, Facebook and chill. Uh, also, you can email, at a, email us, and we do love answering emails, at omnibusproject at howstuffworks.com. Also, on Facebook, we have a wonderful group of people called the Futurelings, the Omnibus Futurelings on Facebook. Tapping away at us with their slimy tentacles. <laughs> Actual sound effect right there of people typing at us. That's actually what I imagine when people talk to me on Twitter. I imagine the sound. It's a lucky break for our ASMR listeners. <laughs> listeners, ASMR and otherwise, from our vantage point in your distant past, uh, we have no idea how long this civilization will survive. Soon we will all be rubble like the Sumerians. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come, at least until I have all my tweets etched into clay tablets. But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if providence allows, if the sun god Shamash smiles on our endeavors, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. Omnibus.